wonderful to hear, bringing hope and cheer. It's the lovely name of Jesus, evermore the same. What a lovely name. Reaching higher far than the brightest star. Sweeter than the songs they sing in heaven. Let the world proclaim what a lovely name. of Jesus. Thank you, Trio. Praise the Lord. You got your Bibles tonight? Let's take them out. We're in a study, a brand new study we began last week in the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. And last week we read the first five verses. We're going to read them again. And hopefully over the course of the coming weeks and months, God is going to open our eyes and our hearts to receive the truth that salvation is by grace through faith alone, plus nothing, minus nothing. If you've got Jesus Christ in your heart, then you're on your way to heaven. And nothing on earth or hell beneath or anywhere else is going to stop us from going to heaven if you've got Jesus Christ in your heart 
and life. That's called salvation by grace through faith. That's called Bible salvation. That's called being saved the Bible way. There's only one way to heaven. It says in John chapter 14 and in verse number 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, not a way, but the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Last week we saw how Paul, signing his name in the manner of that day, very first word in the letter, the epistle, Paul was the man, God's man, for that particular hour. He was willing to stand up and be counted for the truth. He didn't care who liked it or disliked it. He didn't want people to hate him, of course, to throw stones, but nevertheless, we are here for the purpose of pleasing the Lord. We're not here for the purpose of pleasing mankind. We're not here for the purpose of being popular, but we are here for the purpose of proclaiming the truth. And Paul was God's man for that hour. You and I ought to be God's man or woman for this hour in which we live. We now have the opportunity to step up and be counted for the truth. By now you found your way to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. And there it says in verse number 1, Paul, an apostle. Now an apostle is one who is sent with authority. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. His authority, his position was the result of God's appointment. We believe in the call of God. I don't believe anybody should stand to preach unless they have the call of God in their life. I don't believe that a person who is merely eloquent or educated has any right to proclaim as a vocational life the truth of God's Word. Now every Christian ought to proclaim the truth. Every Christian ought to stand up for Jesus. But to do it vocationally, there must be a call of God. And the reason for that is, if we do not have that, we will not be properly equipped to face all of the challenges, the stress and the pressure that one comes under in the gospel ministry. So he's an apostle. An apostle was one who was present from the baptism of John of Jesus until the resurrection or saw the resurrected Christ. And Paul, being around Jerusalem at that time, and of course he saw the Lord Jesus glorified uh, as he was riding to Damascus and going there to persecute the Christians. He was, uh, he was uh, uh, in a divine appointment the Lord had for him as he met the Lord Jesus and he saw the resurrected Christ. So Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Let's talk about those churches. The churches of Galatia were in southern Galatia. We've listed for you the churches that were visited on Paul's first and third missionary journeys. Now, according to Acts chapter 16, he was, he was withheld from going into what we know is now Asia Minor, uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, by the Holy Spirit. He was, he was with, withheld from going into Bithynia at that time on the second journey. But on the first and the third, he visited the churches of Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, Pisidian, and Antioch of Pisidia. 
And uh, those were the churches that we know of. There may have been other churches that branched out that were started, but these were the churches, the congregations that were started because Paul was the evangelist, he was the soul winner, and uh, many souls got saved in churches were organized throughout that region, southern Turkey, known as Galatia. The people had settled there earlier from a region which is now in modern-day France and Belgium. In those days, it was known as Gaul. Hence, we have the name Galatia. It came from the fact that they had originated in a place called Gaul. As a people, they had certain characteristics. Now, you know, I don't mean to sound uh, racial, but... People from different backgrounds have different characteristics, do they not? People from different cultures, from different language groups, from different races have different characteristics. The Gauls were known for being fickle. That is, they would profess something, but then they could be talked into something else. Now, there are some people, for example, there is a state in the middle of the lower 48 states that is known as the Shomi state. And you can't talk anybody out of anything or into anything there. And that state is known as, who said Michigan? Missouri. <laughs> Missouri, that's right. Missouri. Uh, say, I'm from Missouri. You can't, can't, and that's true. Now, that may not be true of every person, but that's the reputation. And it is not true, it is not true of every person that was from, from Galatia, but many of them were fickle. That was that was part of it, and were easily uh, uh, impressed to leave what they had been taught by Paul and to be taken in by other teachers we're going to talk about. Now, when Paul says, and all the brethren which are with me, this is not just like a group greeting. He's not saying, everybody says, hey, that's not it. What he's saying is, all those who are with me stand with me in my position on salvation by grace through faith. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm not the only one who believes you get saved by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he has with him the brethren. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now grace, write it down, G-R-A-C-E is an acrostic. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is favor from God. It cannot be earned. It cannot be maintained by our good works or good behavior. But grace is absolutely free. It comes without our merit. It comes because of who God is. God is gracious, such as we know Him, uh, His attributes, God is love, and so He loves us. He so loved us. God is gracious, and so He extends grace to us. God is merciful. God is long-suffering. All of those characteristics or attributes, 23 of them we have identified in Scripture, are what God does toward us. It's because of who God is. He's divine, He's perfect, and He expresses Himself to us by His attributes. Grace be to you and peace. Now the word peace in the New Testament, now in the Old Testament it's shalom or trust, or excuse me, or um, uh, uh, it's a greeting. Uh, peace, uh, in this case, peace has to do with putting the broken pieces together or, or bringing into harmony 
or bringing together the, the broken pieces of the puzzle. That's peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean there's the absence of conflict. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have people who will oppose us. The world, the flesh, and the devil is our, uh, is our combined enemy. We understand that. Now we come to verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5 read, Who gave himself, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Here, Paul is saying that the work of Jesus Christ is embodied in the message of Himself. His purpose is to deliver us because God so willed it, and the result is may God be praised for it. And that is the introduction to this wonderful epistle that frees us from the shackles of trying to earn our salvation or keep our salvation by our own efforts. Let's begin with prayer. Father, fill me now with the Holy Spirit. Help me as I speak. We thank you, Lord, that each of us has our uh, opportunity to stand up for you and to serve you in our own season. I pray, Lord, that you will bless each one of us and help us to stand firmly for the truth and we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians is a book that is specifically written, a letter that is written to counter or combat legalism. L-E-G-A-L-I-S-M. Legalism. And legalism is a great enemy of grace. Legalism uh, says that we can do something to save ourselves, and that is wrong. We want to have, in Acts, in, uh, in this, this year, we want to have 2020 vision. We want to have clear vision. Our theme for the year is Acts 2020. So we want to have 2020 clear vision. And we need to be able to see more clearly what grace is. You've got to start with what's right in order to understand what's wrong. You understand what I'm saying? In order for us to recognize what's wrong, you have to start with what's right. The way to tell that a stick is crooked is to take an absolute straight ruler and lay it alongside the crooked stick. You will reveal the crookedness of the stick if you have something straight alongside of it. And so we want to always begin with the straight truth. And the straight truth is the grace of God which has appeared to us and by which we are saved. We want to be saturated with our understanding and our, our, the teaching that we do on the subject of grace. And so this is very important. We need to recognize when it's being taught correctly. We need to see it clearly. So when we then hear a false gospel, then we are going to be able to discern that this is false, this is wrong, this is a crooked stick, and we'll be able to recognize it and identify it and expose it. Whenever God is moving in any place, such as He moves in our heart, such as He moves in our family, He moves in our church, God is working in our midst. And we're, we're growing in grace. The devil hates that. And this unholy triumvirate of the world, the flesh, and the devil 
are going to come against us and try to interject into our living, in our thinking, doubts and discord and divisiveness. So we have to constantly be on guard. We have to have our spiritual guard up. We need to be prepared for this to come. As, as we go deeper and deeper into the truth of God's Word, uh, we must be diligent to keep grace at the center of everything. Even when we become more and more obedient to the will of God, we have to be careful. The devil will tempt Christians who begin right to go deeper with the Lord, to make them think that somehow they've accomplished something, or in some way they've gone deeper than other Christians, and they're comparing themselves with others, which the Bible says if we do that, we're not wise. We have to be very careful. The devil will use even an honest desire on the part of a sincere Christian to go deeper with the Lord, will use that to try to cause division among his people. We have to be careful. Be careful. Guard against any compromise that threatens this core of grace as we talk about it. Grace. So we see grace in Galatians that is good and right. And praise the Lord for that. Put this down. I had some thoughts. And every once in a while I have a good thought. So I want you to write down. I think I, I had some good thoughts on the subject. Put this down. You cannot add to God's Word or to His plan of salvation. Why? Because you cannot add to God. You can't add to God's Word or His plan of salvation because you cannot add to God. And God, I'm talking about the God-man, Jesus Christ, is all that we need in order to be saved. When Jonah was in the belly of that well, he says in the second chapter of Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. He didn't say salvation is of the Lord plus we have to join the church. That's a good thing to do, but that doesn't save us or keep us saved. You cannot replace or alter or even reemphasize in any way, shape, or form God's plan of salvation. Why? Because it's simple. And it's absolutely, totally free. Now, it didn't cost us anything. It cost God everything, but it didn't cost us anything. We're saved by grace through faith alone. What must we do? According to Romans 10, 13, we must, we must believe. We must receive. We need to take the Lord at His Word. John 1, 12. And, uh, and in so doing, that simple step of faith ensures that we'll be saved because God does all the saving. We do the receiving. That's it. So let me give you the ABCs of what's wrong with legalism. Put this down. Once again, every once in a while I have a good thought. All right? It, it has to do with, put it down, the A of the ABCs of legalism, which is wrong. But here's the A. Apart, it's apart from God's power, and it's in our own power. So if you're going to exercise or try to get saved or stay saved in your own power, apart from God's power, that's legalism. That's wrong. Apart from God's power. Number two, behaving according to our own rules or standards. Behaving according to our own rules or standards. Now, there are churches, and churches are, differ from one church to the next, and we read in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 12, there is one self-same spirit, 
And there are differences of administration. So some churches have the Lord's Supper uh, 12 times a year. On the first Sunday morning of the month, some have it quarterly. We observe the Lord's Supper as a church body on the Tuesday night prior to whatever is Easter that year because uh, that's when Jesus rose from the dead and we celebrate His resurrection. And it was on Tuesday night that the Lord Jesus Christ observed uh, the Passover and then pushed aside the Old Covenant and observed the, and established the New Covenant with His disciples. It was Tuesday night because, you see, He was tried all night. And then it went into Wednesday. He was crucified on Wednesday, not Friday. Crucified on Wednesday. And as Jonah was three days and three nights uh, in the belly of the well, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth, the Scripture says. And so for three full days, 72 hours, Jesus Christ in the heart of the earth. And before daylight on what we would call Sunday, after the completion of the third full day, day and night, night and day rather, Jesus Christ rose triumphantly, rolled away the stone, and is alive forevermore. Now, because of that, we observe the Lord's Supper. Now, we don't, we don't condemn anybody else or attack anybody else, but that's a difference of administration. Do you see what I'm saying? Not everybody observes the Lord's Supper exactly the same way. Not everybody has exactly the same procedure. For example, when someone comes forward and they want to join our church, the, the questions I would ask them would include the following. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, and are you trusting Him alone for your salvation? Then number two it would be, have you been scripturally baptized? Not have you, but where were you scripturally baptized? That's very important. If they have not been, uh, if, they, if they have not scriptural baptism, then we have baptism. And according to the book of Acts, they were added to the church. They that gladly received His word were baptized in the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So that's how you come into the church. We believe. But there are some churches, perfectly good churches, they decide they want to have a class or they decide they want to have some other procedure, some other kind of a vote. That's fine because there are differences of administration. We are not going to attack people for that. But as soon as somebody says, you know, I think if a person, if they go down to such, such a place and they do such, so I think they have done lost their salvation. They have added to Scripture. They've come up with their own recipe. And that's not true. I don't care who you are, your observation, as astute as it might be, you and I are not in a position to judge somebody else's salvation unless what they say with their profession is the opposite of what Scripture says about salvation. Are you listening to me? Somebody, you say, well, somebody's life doesn't add up. Well, neither does yours or mine. I'm sorry to have to tell you because nobody's, not one of our lives or testimonies is perfect. And because of that, somebody else might say, well, you know what? I think a person, if they shop at such, such a store and, and they buy such, such a products, I don't think they can actually be saved. If they buy products from such, such a company that supports and they go into some sinful activity, I don't think that person can be saved. Well, who, who died and made you God? They didn't give you the right to write the rules. And legalism is that process whereby we behave according to our own standards or rules and make that part of salvation. That is wrong. That is absolutely wrong. When the trumpet sounds and the believers rise, those that have passed, their bodies rise out of the ground glorified, and we who are alive and remain are called up together uh, to meet the Lord in the air, it will not be because of what rules you've been following. 
It will not be based upon what church you belong to or whether you belong to any church. It will have to do with, have you received Jesus Christ by grace through faith? Have you been saved the Bible way? Come on now, amen. So the ABCs of legalism, which is wrong, A, it's apart from God's power and our own power. B, behaving according to our own rules or standards as part of salvation, that's wrong. And then C, competing for God's favor. I have put my finger on this thing. I've figured it out. What people do when they are in a religion or they're in a group where, you know, you got to work so hard. Why, they're kind of in a contest. They're working up a lather to see who can look the most spiritual, who can look the most religious, who can look the most godly or whatever in order to, to earn God's favor. Well, nobody earns God's favor. That is granted freely. One of the great enemies of salvation by grace through faith is what we call performance-based religion. Performance-based religion. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't do your best. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't serve God diligently. I'm saying whether we serve Him diligently or not, it has nothing to do with saving ourselves or keeping ourselves saved. Somebody says, well, I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to services. I'm, I'm doing all these good deeds. I, well, I've earned favor before God. No, you haven't. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn favor with God. You better get that straight. Amen? Amen. All right. And so we come tonight to these two verses, verses 4 and 5, which I have described as the message and the meaning of the true gospel. The message and the meaning of the true gospel. What did Jesus Christ do? First of all, notice how He is presented here in verse number 3. He's presented as Lord Jesus Christ. Not just Jesus, not just Christ, not just Lord, but Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word Lord in the New Testament, kurios, means He's the boss. And whether we acknowledge Him as such or not, He is the boss. But it's better if we do acknowledge Him as the Lord. Jesus means Savior. Same as the Old Testament name Joshua or Hoshea in the Hebrew. And Christ means the Messiah, the Anointed One, especially sent by God for the purpose of saving our souls. So the Lord Jesus Christ, what did He do? He gave Himself for our sins. It doesn't get any clearer than this. What is the theme of the whole Bible? Who can tell me what I've taught you for 18 years now here? Who can tell me? Who can tell me? What have I taught you? All right, what is it, Gene? That's good. All right, amen. She got it right. Uh, give her a pen or something as a prize back there. Like she hasn't got some of her own. All right. Very good. Redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the theme of the entire Bible. And how did we get that redemption? He voluntarily gave Himself. He told His disciples, He told those who would listen when He was teaching, that no man would take His life from Him, that He would give it up voluntarily. And that's precisely what happened. When He went to Calvary, He laid down His life. He voluntarily gave Himself. There is a song 
And I realize it's a gospel song, just a gospel song. It's not scripture. But it says he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Because he is the one, Colossians chapter 1, by whom all things consist or hold together. He could have cried out as the God-man. And he could have literally dissolved the entire universe. Just fly apart into nothingness. Because by him all things consist. The one by whom all things consist hung on the cross in agony for you and me. Separated from God and man. God who knew no sin could not look upon his son, the God man who had become the sin offering for us. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us. Now, this is looking beyond the cross who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He looked beyond the cross to the result. This is why Jesus Christ was willing to bear all of the sins of mankind in himself in that sacrifice which he gave himself, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Salvation is initially the forgiveness of our sins and we are saved Put it down from the penalty of sin. When we receive Christ as Savior, our sins past, present, and future are paid for in full and we are justified just as if we'd never sinned. Can I get an amen? Somebody will say amen tonight. If you don't start amen to me, I'll amen myself. Thank you. Amen. Not only are we justified, saved from the penalty of sin, salvation is in three parts in the sense that we are continuously through what we call sanctification. Sanctification. We're being cleansed. And uh, as we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins that we commit after we're saved and, and uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we are being saved. We are be being saved. That's not good English, but it's good, good theology. Uh, from the power of sin, the control of of sin over our life. As we yield to God, as we submit to God, as we confess our sins, as we are keeping short accounts with God as His children. Now, we, we are never it's never in doubt that we are a child of God. If we become saved by grace through faith, we are forever a child of God. You believe that? Say amen. All right, but what is in question is what kind of a child are we? Are we an obedient child? Are we are we in fellowship? That's what's in question. So as we are be being saved, right along, and then ultimately we shall be saved from the presence of sin. When we die or when we are uh, taken up in the rapture, we will no longer have to deal with the old sinful nature and deal with the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen. Amen. So there you have it. So why did he die? He didn't just die so we'd go to heaven. That's already settled when we receive Christ as Savior. But he died on the cross, was buried and rose from the dead, that we might live in victory, that we might have power, that there might be longer and longer and longer periods of times between, uh, you know, when we sin and have to confess that sin, so that we can live longer and longer periods of times, more consistently, day by day, hour by hour, in victory, victorious over these things that come against us spiritually that He might deliver us from this present evil world. Yes, one day we're going to be taken out 
But right now, until we are physically removed from this world, we are in the world. But listen to me, we're not of the world. We're not like the world system. The world system says, me first. And that's wrong. Jesus says, me last, not me first. Amen. There are so many ways which this world system promotes a philosophy. If we're not careful, we get infected with it. And Jesus Christ didn't just die to save us from hell. He did that. But more than that, He died so that we might have victory day by day and live differently. Not in order to stay saved, but because we are saved. Because we have been saved. And we can live for God victoriously. Amen. And according to the will of God and our Father. You know, people that are, that are constantly stumbling, going headfirst into sin are doing so contrary to the will of God. It is not God's will that we sin and sin and sin and sin. You say, but if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right. That's God's plan that He's provided for us if and when we do sin. If and when we do sin. Please go to 1 John. 1 John was written to saved people, not people trying to get saved, but to people who have received Christ as Savior. Look at verse number 7 of 1 John chapter 1. 1 John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. You see how we're supposed to walk? On a daily basis. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So let's get honest about this. Now please notice the second chapter, because it's continuous thought here. My little children, saved people, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. In other words, the Bible has been written so that we'd have enough spiritual uh, substance so that we could have longer, 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 longer periods of time between stumbling and sinning. So the Bible has been written so that we don't constantly have to deal with that. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, we have a defense lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. You see how that works? So it's God's perfect will that we live in victory. And it's possible for us to do that, to live in victory according to the will of God and our Father. To whom be what? Glory. Now this is the whole reason for anything. The battle from the beginning has been between uh, the forces of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, everything that's good and godly, versus everything that's evil, versus Satan and his demons. Who's going to get the glory? Who's going to get the praise? Who's going to get it through your life and mine? This is most important. The question is, first of all, have you been saved by grace through faith? Have you been saved the Bible way? If you can answer that, you can, you can say, I can point to it. I can put my finger on it right here in the Word of God. I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know where I'm going when I die. I've been saved the Bible way. All right, now, the next question is, are you living in victory? Are you living in victory? We have the potential to live in victory. That is, every single day, God helping us, we can do better by God's grace and for His glory. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking. And tonight we've been talking about 
Galatianism. We've been talking about legalism. We've been talking about that which adds to Scripture and it's false. But the pure message of the Word of God is this, that God did everything that we need done to be saved. And He's done everything and provided everything that we need to live in victory. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Raise your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. That's good. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, I remember a time when I realized I was a lost sinner. I was hopeless and helpless apart from God's grace. And so I, I did what the Bible said. I called upon the name of the Lord. I just simply received the salvation that He provided totally free and clear by grace through faith. I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. If you can remember that time in your life, slip your hand up. Come on, put it up high. God bless you. That's good. That's good. And we rejoice with you. If you can't remember that time, right now needs to be your time. The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart right now something like this? Dear God, just pray silently. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Now, if you just prayed that prayer from your heart and you meant it, slip your hand up high so I can see it right now. I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Anyone at all? Let's stand to our feet with our head bowed and eyes closed. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation.